Two days in a row. Two days in a row. That very seldom happens around here, but uh, this is kind of cool. I, usually I come in, I do, the, I do the podcast, we wait for events to occur, and then I uh, make my way back into the studio three or four days later, sometimes two or three days later, and then we, we start all over again. Always something to talk about, whether it be Champions League reaction, EPL, Bundesliga, Serie A, whatever, coaching, stuff, all that. MLS is uh, always uh, somewhere in that conversation. But we're going to do things a little bit differently. Because I'm here, we're going to go into the holidays. So we decided to create the holiday mailbag. That's what we're doing. It. And I sent it out there yesterday. I put it out on Twitter to see if we would get any kind of reaction. That You guys are always good at providing great topics to talk about during the, uh, for the program. So uh, we, we got a couple. So I'm going to run through these. And uh, I always want to preface this with saying, when you ask me a question... Be careful what you wish for. Sometimes people ask questions and it's just to provoke me into saying something that maybe I don't want to say. That used to be the case when I used to work for Fox and ESPN because I always had to give you some political answer that, that never really went all the way. It was, it was like, this is basically what's happening, but this is what I'm allowed to say because I know we've been over this time and time again. When you work for a network, the, the issue is very simple. You have a partnership with the league. That's not the way it works in the NFL, the NHL. You can actually go at these people and nobody really comes at you and, and you know, with, with the pitchforks and says, you know, we, we got to string this guy up. So when you do say things that are counterproductive to the overall program, if you will, with Major League Soccer, there are repercussions for your actions because of a contract that exists between the networks. Understood? Great. I don't have any of that shit to deal with anymore. It's just not my problem. So the first question from my boy Devin, he wants to know, what is going on with this new MLS Next Pro? Your thoughts on MLS getting a reserve league and what that entails. All right, let's go. So what it is, and if you've been paying attention um, over the course of the last couple of years, there's always been MLS affiliates in USL, whether that be Tacoma or RGV or LA, uh, they, what do they call it uh, over in LA? Uh, Los Dos. There, there's always this affiliation with usl sporting has a team phoenix is on its own for example right orange county is on its own las vegas lights are now affiliated with lafc which is a completely different way of doing things because those four guys every single time they play a game guess what it's an away game they're not las vegas lights they are lafc wearing a jersey that's it. So I feel, I feel bad for those guys. And poor Steve, Steve Sharundalo could, couldn't figure it out. And that was probably one of the worst seasons he'll ever endure. Now, Devin, let me get to it, buddy. I've entertained uh, a lot of your questions, but let me try and be as straight to the point as I possibly can. MLS Next is, if you've been paying attention to the, at the youth levels, is the tag, is the marketing of Major League Soccer within all markets. So you have that opportunity. And MLS, is at, when they basically took over the developmental system from U.S. soccer, they went through Major League Soccer. Now, this is actually really smart, really, really smart, because you're taking advantage of the perception of reality versus the reality of what this, what this actually entails. And what that means is most kids out there, most parents believe that if they want to be at the highest level, they have to be involved in an MLS next club. Now, that could be anywhere. That could be, I mean, we're here in Las Vegas, and there's several teams, Albion and LVSA, which have you know, 30, 40 teams, and a couple of them are a part of the MLS Next program. What does that mean? Does that mean it's the best soccer? No. Does it give the perception or that it is affiliated with the highest level? Yes. So a lot of parents 
are still going to continue to spend money just as much as they would at another club, whether it is involved in ECNL and or independent. But that money, right, when that, the way that all works out, essentially in, in the, in, over the history of the, all of this, used to not protect the player from a solidarity payment and or training compensation in the event that the player made his way to Europe or made to Major League Soccer. Now, why is this genius? Because Major League Soccer now controls the perception of reality and has the ability to just throw that net out. And all of those youth teams are now a part of the system so that when they create this pathway through an academy, that player is no longer paying to be there. All right? So the reason why you couldn't collect on a training compensation and, and or solidarity payment if someone, you know, if this were Europe, is because you've already paid. You've already been compensated as the club. If you are actually actually paying for those those kids through an academy system to be there and to facilitate that work, and you're paying to the, the coaches, and those kids are not paying to be trained, they qualify for the solidarity payment and training compensation, which is why a pro pathway was necessary to complete that. So now you've got the, the you've got the youth, you've got all these teams that that whether they're involved with ECNL or MLS Next or whatnot. The ones that are now affiliated with MLS academies, which is only going to be 30 next year, if you really want to be honest about it, there is now a, a central piece, MLS Next Pro, which will be a pathway from the academy to the professional level, which will actually compete with League One of USL, not, not, not USL Championship. And that's where this gets a little kooky because a lot of people think that just because you're involved with a major league soccer team, that your teams are going to be the highest level or, or the next level or the, the level right underneath where you need to be become a part of a, an MLS franchise. It's hard to call them a club because they are franchises, by the way. Now, here's the part. Look at what Sporting Kansas City did this year. Look at what LAFC did this year. These teams were bottom feeders. They couldn't even come close to competing with USL Championship. They couldn't. They have, they're, they're nowhere near in the same vicinity. They're, they're, it's men against boys, to be honest. Now, that's because Major League Soccer, when they put these players, these are the players that they're investing in and they're developing, and they're really just saying, we got to beat them up for a couple years. And what was interesting about uh, LAFC, for example, they take over Las Vegas Lights. They are now putting all of their second team, reserve team, in league play. And they said, well, you know, it, it, we'll give them a year, and then let's see what they look like. They gave them a year. They were just as bad at the end as they were at the start. It doesn't work. Now, the, all that it makes, the, if, if, you're, if you're really trying to get to the bottom of, does this, and in my concerns, are only about, does this make us better as a soccer nation? The answer to that is no. Does it make Major League Soccer more powerful and more controlling? Absolutely. Does it mean that those players are going to, uh, uh, just because of affiliation, be trained and developed appropriately? No, it does not. Every case is different. It's the environments and the coaching that these kids receive that makes the difference in whether they're going to be able to do it or not. Now, what bothers me and which concerns me, and I even had these issues with the developmental academies when, when it was all controlled by U.S. soccer, is these were controlled environments. These, these were manufactured games. These were a bunch of kids just running around, trapping and passing the ball. I'm afraid to make a mistake with nobody watching. 
The good part about MLS Next Pro is there might be people watching this. And that's a good and a bad thing. Because if people are, people are getting smarter, man, and if you throw them out there and you say, this is the best next level, and it's not, you're not fooling anybody anymore. You're not. Now, are a bunch of parents going to believe this? And are a bunch of parents going to spend a lot of money to, in, in hopes that they're going to become a part of MLS Next Academy and then have that pro opportunity and then eventually end up uh, on, a, on a professional team someday making $64,000 and not even uh, you know, able to wipe your ass twice? Maybe. Maybe that's the idea of what professional soccer is to them. Are we going to create the next Christian Pulisic? No, we're not. Let's just say it now. It's not going to happen. And if anybody's out there dreaming about that, it's not going to happen in this pathway. The environment that Christian Pulisic put himself in through his, through his, his nationality and his dad, Mark, they, they figured out that let's, 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 get, him, let's get him in with uh, an environment that's conducive to, to fast-tracking this. And it worked. Now, are the environments on their way to getting better? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is the coaching all the way there? I don't think so. Now that, I'm going to sound like an arrogant guy here, but you know how many guys are out there that actually know what Europe looks like? They've been there. They've been on vacation. Maybe they had a cappuccino at a nice little restaurant, but do they know what it's like to be on the field? No. And by the way, Caleb Porter, if the ball bounces over the fence and you kick it back at Barcelona, that doesn't mean you trained with them. All right, I'm done there. Let's just see how it plays out because there's a lot of, lot of things that we don't know. And there's a lot of things that are yet to be seen. But from all my experience, I can tell you it'll be about the environments that are created. And that is difficult to do when you're just playing against a bunch of would-be reserve guys who aren't good enough for their team anyway. There's a lot of reasons why USL is a great option. And there's a lot of excitement going on over there. USL is doing things differently. They got Jake Edwards and Alec Papadakis, and those two are all in. There's a lot of excitement with ownership groups that are like, I don't have to pay $350 million just to be a part of this thing. I love the game. I love, the, I love this version of the pathway. I love the traditions here that, that, are, that are being entertained. They're going to go back to the international calendar. They're going to entertain promotion and relegation. That is something you'll never see in Major League Soccer. That's kids that are trying to develop and get better. We'll never understand what it's like. Well, let me get this straight. If we lose this game, we're going down? It's not just pat me on the back and get them next time? What does that mean? Did I just lose my job? Yes, you did. Because you weren't good enough and you didn't work all year. I got impl- to applaud what Alec is, is doing over there and Jake Edwards. And even at the academy with Liam, they are putting a lot of work into creating a pathway that is much more recognizable to me. And the fact that they are going to entertain the idea of putting it on the international calendar. The fight has begun. USL has taken off the gloves and they, and they basically are screaming at the top of the mountain. We don't need you. So do your thing and we'll do ours. All right, that's that. Thank you for the question, Devin. All right, I got another question from my buddy, Jack Whitefoot, who um, he's somebody that I got to meet. How many hot dogs have we had, buddy? That was like my tradition. And when I was the coach of the lights, I'd come out and Jack would make me a hot dog with way too much mustard. And that, uh, that was probably the reason why I was a little overweight. I've been able to conquer that. But he is, he is asking me about Las Vegas and what is your prediction of whether the villains, which is, the, if you've been paying attention, is one of the 
names that's been protected to take a similar branding and identity to Aston Villa. So Wes Edens is, is probably, you know, Mike, well, probably. He's going to go that route. He's going to go that route, especially on the heels of what just happened. And this is, a, this is something that you need to put in your, your computer and think about. A lot of people used to, used to throw a lot of rocks at NYCFC and their affiliation with Man City. Guess what? They just won it. Wearing the same jersey as Man City. The same colors. So do not be surprised, Jack, at all, if Aston Villa and our, and our, our new great friend, Wes Edens, figures out a way to get that jersey and to rebrand what he's already doing at a much larger scale uh, in the EPL. Wouldn't surprise me at all. So identity is another word that you use here. If you watch the way New York was received on their way home, the way that they traveled in MLS Cup, there's a lot of passion there. There's a lot of people who really, really enjoyed watching their team win this thing. It started with the likes of David Villa, right? You know, and, and Patrick Vieira and, and my, my, my boy Poku over there. I remember, you know, it was, it was Claudio Reyna was, was running the show and they were trying to figure things out. And to see them win in Manchester City colors, and that's what just happened. I don't think that they're doing, you know, handstands over there because the MLS team won wearing their jersey. There's a lot of other stuff going on. One of the things that their manager, Ronnie, actually re- referred to was, we're going to put a real trophy in our locker room now. We have a real trophy. And I, I don't think he meant to word it that way because he was trying, it was not a shot at the youth, but they've won everything at the youth levels. And I thought that that was pretty cool to see New York win. So when it comes back to Vegas, Wes Edens, owner of Aston Villa. So if you don't like those colors, I don't even know what those colors are. I know there's like a, I, I, you know, you know what I'm talking about. West Ham has the same damn colors. Either way, uh, you might see that. You might see that. And I, I would welcome it. I think it's not a bad idea. All right, so um, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I've, I've had a couple of uh, conversations with you as well on, on Twitter, and that's your handle. Wants me to compare the Ralph Reinick process at Manchester United to Moneyball with the Oakland A's. Now, that's a great question, all right? It, it really is, because you have to understand, if you've seen the movie, and anybody that I start talking now, and you really don't understand what Billy Bean was doing and how it all worked, and you haven't seen the movie with Brad Pitt, and, and I love this movie, and I've seen it a bunch of times. My favorite scene is where they tell the Hattenberg that he's going to be playing first base because his arm doesn't work anymore. He's got a contract already. He's, and he calls him. He says, can, can you let us in? We're sitting outside. And that moment where he hugs his wife and his, and his baby, I still have a job. You know, I, I can identify with that. So I, I really I appreciate that moment in the, in, in the movie. But what is Moneyball? It, it's, it's, it's so... Interesting when you when you go back and, and, and you look at the characters that they created and how they addressed it, well, different than the book, and probably a little different than real life because I think it was Art Howe was the manager who who absolutely hated this, but ended up uh, looking like a like like he did it all. But Ralph Reinick, what he's doing is completely different. Moneyball is buying wins on statistics. You're buying runs. You're buying on base percentages you don't care what it looks like you don't go to the you know you don't have to bunt anymore you have to steal bases get on base snap point that was the whole scene and all those recruiters you know all those people in the room were basically told in that moment you're irrelevant you are absolutely i don't need you to go out there and in in some 
high school and some, you know, in the middle of, you know, Timbuk nowhere and, and, and find some kid. No, we're going off the numbers that are already in front of us on base percentage. And that's all that matters. Now, that's not something that you can really equate to soccer. Okay. There is a lot of science and there's a lot of metrics that are now involved in the game. Right. And these are things that can be applied to soccer. But what the way it works now is just to explain this the best I can is most teams, most teams which are taking an approach, an analytical approach to building a squad, they go off what's called player profiling. So in order to have player profiling, you have to create a system of play. That is what Ryanick is able to do. And now the idea is we need to really find the players that we can implement the system. So is it going to, you know, and some of these guys, um, and it's a pressing, it, it is, is a way of doing it. That's why Chris Armas is there to explain it. It doesn't really have anything to do with metrics. This is, this is why this is different. This isn't like, all right, so how many times did the guy trap and pass the ball and how many times did he lose it? They actually will say this uh, with, with Red Bull. They, they won't say it out loud, but their coaches will tell you that uh, what, part of their job is to create chaos. So in chaos, nobody monitors chaos. And, and some people say, oh, it's, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. He's just, he's just doing this because he knows it can't be monitored. It can't, there's no, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, but it's all relative. So applying it to Moneyball is, is in, in essence, impossible because it's a different, completely different deal. Does it involve getting better value for players who are going to give you more energy? Yes. In that, in that sense, yes. Because in Moneyball, in the movie, it was about getting some guy that you could pay $247,000 and he'll get on base more than Johnny Damon who you have to pay $7 million and you can't afford anyway. So... What will happen with Manchester United? It's not Moneyball. It's just a much more frugal and efficient way of finding players to implement a system. So nice try, but I just don't think it's the same thing. It's not. Because uh, I, I really enjoyed Moneyball. I, I really did. The best part of the movie is when Hattenberg hits the home run. In the game that they were up 11 nothing. And then the Kansas City Royals catch up to make it 11-11. And Billy Bean thinks that he's jinxing it by coming back. And then the one thing happens that wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't about getting on base. They needed a home run. And the last guy in the world that they thought was going to hit a home run hit a home run. And baseball prevailed. You had a, a wonderful performance. And I don't know what the actor's name. He was pretending to be John, uh, John Henry. And that whole trip to Boston about how Billy Bean was the first one through the wall. So the first, of course, he's bloodied. But in essence, that's at the end of the movie is where you had Henry on board with, with Moneyball. And eventually, eventually, if you're, if you're really being honest, he, he, he employed that kind of thinking. And he got a general manager who was able to build a team in essence the same way. But what he says is, you beat out the New York Yankees, who spent, I don't know what the number was, million dollars a win, <laughs> and, and you spent far less. And that's why, that's why Moneyball worked to him. That if anybody wasn't, wasn't going to get into this frame of mind and this way of doing things, that they're just an idiot. And that's the way the movie ended. I didn't like, I didn't like um, 
that betrayal of not caring anymore. Billy Beans, just I, I'm not in this to win. I'm, you know, I've been in this a long time. I really wish they would have ended it differently, but that's the reality of how that story ended. But Moneyball, Ralph Reinick, nope, not even in the same room, not even in the same book. So don't worry about them being on the same page. All right, last one, Gorilla Talk. Yeah. I know you, you know me. I know you're from Atlanta. All right, when am I going to be coaching again? Will we see you coaching again? Do you ever even want to coach again? Of course I do. Of course I do. And there's reasons why I'm not coaching. And it's my brash nature. Now, the assumption is, is that I'm hard to work with because I'm willing to say things that most people aren't willing to say and I don't play politics and I, I'm not going to bullshit people. But if you talk to people like in Atlanta, for example, with Andy Smith, who actually works with Gary Smith uh, because he brought him in after I was in the, with the Atlanta Silverbacks, he will tell you a very different rendition of what I am and how I work. It's a seven to seven job, man. You're up early and it never stops, but I love it. I love it. What happened to me in Las Vegas, uh, Jack is probably interested in this as well, and all the Lucy Force and Electric Co., you, you, you crew are, are, were really great to me. You, you actually called me uh, El Padrino, which is the, the godfather. And I love that little banner you made. That was, that was cool. But here's the thing. In, in Las Vegas, I was not given a real opportunity to coach. What I was able to accomplish pr prior to that was building teams and scouting and being the, the, you know, how do I say this? The white guy who showed up at the Mexican League games with a churros and a bad coffee at 8 o'clock in the morning and found a kid. That's who I used to be. That's always who, I, uh, who I've always been. So I wouldn't have really done well with the Moneyball idea because I was a scout. And I relied on my eyes and my observations. Now, what I did with that, that Cal FC group to be the first coach ever to beat a, a top flight team in the, in the Marhan Open Cup with a pure amateur side without going to penalty kicks, of course I'm proud of that. I thought that would have helped me and convincing people that I, I know what I'm doing. It didn't. It didn't. Going to Atlanta to take a team that had, had three wins or two wins before I got there in, in the previous two years. They had shut down very um, briefly and then reopened their doors and tried to get back after it. When I got there, I think they had 30 or 31 players on their roster, and they had, they had one win in their season out of 16 games. And we turned that completely around, and we won the Spring League. We went to a final against the New York Cosmos and lost. Losing to the Cosmos sucked because what, their one player, I think it was Senna, yeah, Senna's um, salary for the year was $180,000 more than my entire budget. So again, I thought that would have helped me. Uh, I had the, the entire time, I had you know, people like you know, Alexi Lawless being the, you know, the idiot that he could be at times and telling everybody that I was Skyping it in, which wasn't true. I was just working for Fox and I was passionate about coaching. Being a technical director was something that I actually believe I'm better at. Which is, which is hard for me to say sometimes. But after that, I coached uh, in the UPSL, uh, put a group together that eventually turned into what is now Cal United, which is run by the Capriottis in uh, Orange County, Irvine. They had a decent year uh, this year. But what I did there was the UPSL for two and a half years. I was the head coach, uh, three-time state champion, regional champion, and we lost in the finals. 
of uh, the national championship when I took out a player because I was worried about concussion protocol. We ended up taking a goal, playing with 10 men. I still would go back and say I did the right thing. I didn't want to put that kid in harm's way, but we lost one game out of 144. So I'm proud of that. I think that's something. Do I know how to coach? Do I know what I'm doing? Absolutely. Have I ever had a shot at the highest level? No. But in Atlanta, we were able to uh, expound on what we were already doing with Cal FC, and there is no other coach in this country who has beaten an MLS team with a second division and or lower amateur team as many times as I have in 110 years. So yeah, I'm proud of that too. Will I coach again? It depends on what level we're talking about. I coach right now for the local club here in uh, Las Vegas downtown, 04 Gold. And it goes back to that first question from Devin. We've played against LA uh, FC and their version of the 03 group. I'm an 04 and 03 group, their version of uh, MLS Next. We tied them. The perception, you know, if, if we were, and if you watch some of those tournaments too, and I, I've coached this team, I think we have yet to lose. Uh, we are the, uh, through the, via the USYS uh, um, President's Cup, we won regionals and we won nationals. We are currently the first, in first place in the Desert Conference and first place in National Pro. Uh, we just got back from Orlando last week. And uh, yeah, I, I love coaching. I love it. I got into this U18 space because I wanted to see what, what the academies were all about. And in all those games, I've, I've got to see a lot of great players from ranging from New Jersey to Illinois to Florida to Maryland, Washington, Portland, New Mexico. I've seen them all. I'm still apologizing for beating Montana 12-0. Didn't mean to blow that program up, but my guys were in a good mood. But do I want to coach again? I'm already coaching, and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Could I take over a team tomorrow in USL? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the other thing that I, I think was, was really um, a testament to me wanting to continue to grow as a coach was taking the pro course. And Barry Powell's and uh, Vim over there at, at US Soccer, who have been very patient with me this year with everything that I've gone through, the loss of my mom and my brother, I had to suspend um, the course simply because I was not in the right frame of mind to continue. And I had to prioritize. But I will be finishing that course in April. But that's as high as it gets. I mean, we have like half of the, <laughs> half of the, the, the coaches in Major League Soccer do not have this license. Maybe more than half. I'm certain, certain that Bruce Arena does not have this license. However, I will. And I've learned so much as a coach. And understanding what your frailties are and what you're, what, what, how you need to get better is, is a big part of that course. And uh, I'm very appreciative of, of U.S. soccer, of one, uh, allowing me to take the course and being very patient in that process. But I've learned quite a bit. And I've also been disappointed with other candidates, with other people, with some of the information. And I'm not the kind of person that's just going to write it down and run the playbook. I disagree with some of the things that they hold very dear. And I do think that my function, if there is anything moving forward as a coach, is to continue to change the game, to find solutions, to create trends. Methodology is big to me. But teaching, I don't know if we want to call it that. 
I'm more of a facilitator. I find players. I'm a good scout. I know what it looks like. You got a lot of, a lot of coaches out there, Major League Soccer, who played in Major League Soccer and got a job in Major League Soccer. That's their ceiling. That ceiling is concrete. You, they can't bust through it. They don't know. And guess what? They don't want to go up there because they'll get found out. That's Jesse Mars, the rude awakening. All right, do I want to be a coach? Yes, there's your answer. That's it for today, guys. I want to do this again. And you know what we'll do next time is we'll, we'll, we'll give you some recognition. We'll, we'll put, your, put your name up, retweet it, and all that stuff. But in, in the meantime, we are getting closer and closer to the holidays. So I wanted to wish all of you, all of the listeners out there that have made this, this interaction pretty special for me. It's been a great relationship with uh, Blue Wire Studios, especially with the win, being here, being a part of this team. Uh, honored and blessed to be here. And this will continue in the coming year. But for now, let's go celebrate. Let's go have a very good holiday. I always say this at, at the end of the program, but more so than ever, it means something. Go be good human beings. Take care of each other and love each other out there. I was on the way in this morning. I'll leave you with this. And I wasn't in the best mood. I didn't have a good morning with my kids, being late to school, which I hate that. And my son forgets a jacket, so I look like an irresponsible dad. It's 47 degrees out here. And the song Feed the World, uh, Bob Geldof, many years ago, with all the voices that are on there. I don't know how Paul Young got to start that song. That must have been a trend. Could have been anybody, but for, the, for forever, he will be the voice of that song. It's Christmas time, and I love it. And it put me in such a great mood coming into work today. Either way, I wish you the best holiday season again recognize what you have. My mom used to say, count your blessings. And it's always a good thing to do. Stay positive, be good people, and we'll hear you in the new year. Thanks.